This is the word of the Lord. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host um, of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you that in the scriptures we read about your great mission to fill the earth with your glory and that the end of this story that we are living in is that the great creator God would come and dwell with human beings. And Lord, we look forward to that day when you make your dwelling place among us and we thank you that you have already done that in Christ taking on flesh and by you sending your Holy Spirit to dwell in us and among us. And so we pray that you would give us a vision for your mission and our role in it this morning as we study Ephesians 4. And so may your Holy Spirit be our teacher, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we are beginning a a sermon series on the topic of generosity. It's going to be a a four-week series uh, in the month of May. Uh, about being generous with our time, our treasure, and our talents. And uh, some of you might think it's uncomfortable uh, talking about generosity in, in the church, and I don't feel that way at all. It's because one thing that seems very obvious to me is that people who are generous are the happiest people. So for us to spend time focusing on being generous is just a blessing to all of us. And so uh, I think it's, it's a great opportunity for us. Uh, But before we have sermons on our generosity, we have to start with God's generosity to us. And the logic of the gospel is always, we love because he first loved us. We give because he first gave to us. And you can see that that's how this passage begins that I just read to you there. In verse 7 it says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And this verse is so important because it says on the one hand that all of our gifts are are very different. That uh, you're not like me, I'm not like you. Where God has made a diverse group of people with diverse gifts in his church. 
but also that all of our gifts were a gift of grace. They're not something that we can boast in or think that we're, you know, we're awesome than other people because we have these gifts. They came from him as a free gift. We did not earn them. We did not deserve them. They came as a gift from Jesus. And one of the things that's always struck me about our church is about is how incredibly gifted this community is. I'm just amazed by all of you and uh, how God has gifted you. And so before we can understand being generous, being open-handed with our time and treasure and talents, we need to come to deeply appreciate how richly gifted our community is, and why Jesus has given us those gifts. And so today we're talking about God's gifts to us, and I want to make three observations from this passage in Ephesians 4. This is what they are. Your gifts were given to you by the king. Your gifts are organized by pastors. And your gifts are for building the city of God. Three things we learn about from this passage is that your gifts were given to you by the king, your gifts are organized by pastors, and your gifts are for building the city of God. And this is really such a tremendous passage for giving us a vision of who we are as the people of God here in Bellingham and in Whatcom County. And so uh, three important points for us this morning. And the first is this. Your gifts were given to you by the king. Your gifts were given to you by the king. And what I mean by that is that Jesus has been shown to be the true king of the world when God raised him from the dead. It was God's declaration that this is my true king. And that true king has distributed gifts out of his riches to all of his people. And so I want to point out two implications about that. Okay, The first is that our gifts are exchanged with the king. We exchange gifts with the king. He gives and we give back. He gives and we give back. That's kind of the pattern of our life in Jesus. And you can see that at the beginning of this passage, it says in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And Matt talked about that verse we used in the uh, call to worship in Psalm 68 at the beginning of the service. And the Apostle Paul's quoting Psalm 68, which is a song of triumph that gives like a record of all God's victories and how he brought Israel out of Egypt and he defeated kings. And then he came to Mount Zion, which is in, in Jerusalem. And so after all of God's victories over his enemies, he uh, enters his capital city to be seated on his throne. And in the ancient world, you know, when a king returned from his military victories and he came back to his capital city, they would always have a parade. And all the people would come and line the streets and they would be throwing flowers and gifts at the king. And the king would come into his, you know, throne room and trailing behind him would be all these uh, captives of the enemies that he had defeated. And, you know, the slaves and uh, and the prisoners that he's bringing with him. And so Paul uses this imagery to say that, well, this is what's happened with Jesus. Jesus, uh, in his death and resurrection, has defeated sin, death, and Satan. And after his resurrection, he ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven. He's given authority over all the nations of the world. And Paul says that we are the captives that are following behind him in the parade. We were the prisoners that he was taken from, that were taken from the enemy. Except, instead of us being in chains... And getting ready to be locked up and hang, or hanged on the gallows. 
He has made us joint heirs with him. He's adopted us into God's family, and he shares all the riches of his kingdom with him, and he's handing out gifts to the, to the, the former enemies. And we say, wow, Jesus is not like any other king. And what we're going to find out as we go through this series together on generosity, we're going to talk more about the gifts that Jesus has given to you and to me. And those gifts are not just that he gives us forgiveness, he gives us eternal life, he gives us the Holy Spirit to enable us to love him and love others, but he's also, he's given us wealth, he's given us talents, he's given us opportunities, he's given us a network of relationships. All of these things come from, as gifts from our king. So if Jesus gives us gifts as kings, why do I say that we exchange gifts with the king? Well, there's a textual issue in this passage. You'll notice at the end of verse 8 there, it's how it says he gave gifts to men. Well, if you go back and read Psalm 68 and find this verse, it's not going to say that he gave gifts from men. It says that he received gifts from men. And you're going to say, well, which is it? Does the king give gifts to all the people or does he receive gifts from them? And I, you know, it could be that Paul translated the Hebrew in a certain way here. We're not sure why, why Paul uh, translated it this way. But I think the main point is when the king wins a victory, he exchanged gifts with his people. And so he takes all the plunder that he's won and he shares it with the people. And then the people bring tribute to their king and gratitude for all that he's done for them. And they offer him gifts back and forth. And this is the kind of life that Jesus intends for us to have with him. He's open-handed with us. And we're open-handed with him and the people that he brings into our life. That exchanging and sharing. And so um, when we realize that all of our gifts, our time, money, and talents, are gifts from the king to be offered back to him, it tells us a second thing about them. So our gifts are given by the king to be exchanged with him. But also our gifts are shaped by the gospel. Our gifts are shaped by the gospel. Our gifts take the shape of the gospel when we believe in Jesus. And you'll notice that immediately after Paul says, the king gives us gifts, he gives a little summary of the gospel. And you see that summary there in verse 9 where it says, in saying he ascended, what does he mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who has also ascended far uh, above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And you might be like, what is all this about? He descended, he ascended. Well, it's exactly what we say every week in the Apostles' Creed. Every week after the sermon, we'll say it today. The Apostles' Creed, it talks about Jesus descending. You know, he, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into the grave. That's Jesus' great descent to the lower parts in the earth. And then he ascends. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. What, what is, uh, why does Paul say this? We all need to know that our lives will be like our king's life. You descend before you ascend. Death and resurrection is the pattern of Jesus' followers. And your gifts are actually going to take that shape to them. Your gifts come through a path of death and resurrection. I think often your greatest gifts are the gifts that God gave to you through hardship. You know, I think about my gifting. I, I, when I was a teenager, I was sent away to a treatment program for a year and a half by my parents. It was a very hard trial in my life. And in that year and a half, someone gave me a Bible, and I read it. 
and I experienced the life-changing power of the Word of God, and that shaped my whole life. It was a descent before I could have gifts. And some of you, you're gonna, the, the ways that God, you're going to serve God is through your hardships. Our gifts are forged in hardship. And I was talking to uh, Lauren Clark. Lauren Clark's a member of our church uh, just a couple weeks ago. And he was talking about how often in our work, how important it is for us to accept and internalize that in the work we do, things are never going to go smoothly. And we think, you know, I should be doing my passions. I should be using my gifts. I should have little obstacles and no hardships. And then we're surprised when work isn't going that way. And there's all these obstacles and there's all these frustrations and it never seems to get smooth. And he says, why do we think our life's going to be like that? It wasn't like that for our king. Our king had to go through the cross before he ascended into heaven. Even the exercising of our gifts will follow the pattern of the gospel. We must descend with him before we can ascend with him. And, you know, there's a, there's a great scene in the, the Lord of the Rings uh, books. And in the first book of the Lord of the Rings, it's called The Fellowship of the Ring. And there's, the fellowship is this group of, there's four hobbits and two men, and there's an elf and a dwarf, and there was a wizard for, you know, part of it. And uh, they go to this region of the elves called Lothlorien. And um, as they're leaving Lothlorien, the elves give the fellowship these gifts for their journey and for their mission. And, you know, there's a file filled with liquid light and there's elven cloaks and elven bows and, you know, elven rope. And, and uh, I think Gimli gets like three strands of Galadriel's hair. And, you know, so there's all these gifts and they're giving them, you need these gifts for your mission. And there's a great line in the books where the elves say, we put the thought of all that we love into all that we make. And I love that line. We put the thoughts of all that we love into all that we make. That is the same with our gifts from our king. The thought of all that Jesus loves has been woven into our gifts. If you're smart or artistic or wealthy or a good teacher or an encourager, the thought of all that Jesus loves has been woven into those things. And that's why it makes sense that they'd be offered back to him. They'd be, they'd be used for the gospel because the gospel has shaped them. And so first, our first point is this, that your gifts are given to you by the king to be offered back to him, and he has woven into them the shape of the gospel because that's the thing that matters most to Christ. But one of the things uh, that I mentioned is that when he gives us these gifts, our gifts are different. And somehow they all need to fit together and work together. And so that leads to the second thing that we learned from this passage is that your gifts are organized by pastors. Your gifts are organized by pastors. And this passage says there's an important role that pastors play in us using our gifts. And there are two things in particular that pastors do, is that pastors teach people and pastors connect people. This has been a really formative passage for me as a pastor, so I'm excited to talk about it. So I want to talk about each of those things. So first, pastors teach people. And you see that the next verse mentions pastors in verse 11 where it says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. The shepherds there is pastors, right? And, uh, and the first two titles in that list are the apostles and the prophets. We no longer have the apostles and prophets in person. There's an earlier place in Ephesians where Paul says that uh, the church is like a spiritual house 
that God is building, and it's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the apostles and prophets are who we have in the Bible. So we still have the apostles and prophets with us. They still build up the church, but it's through the written word that's in, in the Bible. And so uh, you have the apostles and prophets, and then there's the evangelists, who are those who kind of go into new places to bring the gospel and share the gospel with people. But then the last two titles in Greek really go together. The shepherds and teachers. And some people think that's actually just one office. The shepherd teacher. And that's what pastors are in the church. And what all these roles do is they teach people. And why is teaching so important for us using our gifts? Well, for one thing, you need to know the purpose of your gifts. You know, many of you will find that your spiritual gifts and your natural gifts are actually the same thing. You know, if you're naturally an encourager, you know, and you do that in your workplace, and then you come into the church and you're encouraging, you say, well, what, what's the difference between a natural gift and a spiritual gift? Well, a spiritual gift is when a natural gift is directed by God's word and his spirit and used for God's purposes. So it takes on it. It's not just used to serve myself. It's now served to, to serve God's kingdom. And the way that our natural gifts get redirected for God's purposes is through teaching. The Holy Spirit uses teaching to reshape what's important for us. So we need, we need teaching so we know the purpose of our gifts, but also the church is an institution that organizes the gifts of the members. And when institutions don't have biblical teaching, they lose their way. And you think of many of the institutions in our, in our culture that most of them, if you, if you trace them back to who started these kinds of institutions, whether it's hospitals or public schools or uh, social services or universities or even the legal system, it was Christians who founded many of these institutions. And, uh, and yet they lose their way when they re reject God's truth. And so teaching gives strength and stability to the ministries. And that's exactly what Paul says in this passage. Look at verse 13 there. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. You see, the teaching gives us unity. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. Teaching it gives us a knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. Teaching us, gives us maturity. And uh, to the, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And I love that picture of every wind of doctrine. You know, that's how the world is. There's always some new idea that's blowing around. And are we just going to follow every fad that comes and shapes the institution? No, the institution needs to be established on the, God's truth. So it's not just carried about by every wind of doctrine that comes along. Sound teaching is crucial. So pastors teach people. But the second thing that we see that pastors do is pastors also connect people. Pastors connect people. And there's a fair amount of debate about the meaning of this uh, passage. You'll, no you'll notice what Paul says uh, the pastors and teachers do in verse 12. What do the pastors and teachers do? To equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. And just so you know, if that word saints refers to all Christians. In the New Testament, saints are all the holy ones. And it's not just a special kind of extra holy Christian. All Christians are called saints. And so if you are in Christ, you are a saint. And there are different ways that you can translate that verse. 
that really has two meanings. And the question is, what's happening in the church? Do pastors do the work of ministry to build up all of you? Or do pastors equip all of you to do the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ? There's really two ways of reading it. And you can see that this translation, the English Standard Version, says that actually it's you all that do the work of ministry, not the pastors. We're here to help you do the work of ministry. And of course, that's the, uh, the view that our church uh, takes, uh, that you are not here primarily to have ministry done to you. You are here to be equipped to use your gifts to do ministry for building up the body of Christ. Pastors equip you for your ministry by giving you good teaching, but also by connecting you to other people. And I'll tell you, I, about six years ago, I went on a sabbatical. I had a summer away, time for study, and uh, one of the things I studied during that summer away was the ministry of John Calvin, who was one of the leaders of the Reformation, and he built the ch church in Geneva. And, um, and I came across Calvin's views on this passage, on Ephesians 4. And one of the big questions that I had always had in my ministry was, I know that as a pastor, I am not the head of the church. Right? Well, this passage tells us, who's the head of the church? Verse 15. Rather, speaking in the truth, the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Christ is the head of the church. The pastors are not the head of the church. The elders are not the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. So I say, okay, but, you know, Matt and I play an important role in this community. What, how, what part of the body are we? If we're not the head, what part of the body are we? Well, Calvin said that the answer is in verse 16. He says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. And Calvin says the joints of the body, the ligaments, are the pastors uh, that are holding together the different parts of the body. And that was so helpful for me. Joints connect the different parts of the body. Ligaments hold the different parts of the body. And so what that means is your pastors, our job, and the other church leaders and church staff, our job is to know you all, to hear your stories and find out what your gifts are and say, oh, you're into that? Oh, I know this other person over here, and we got to match you up. Or there's this team over here that's doing this kind of work, and we got to get your ministry on there. What, do you, what kind of support do you need? What kind of, in order to enable you to do that? It's connecting and building teams and, and knowing the body of Christ to bring them together so that we all as a community are doing the work of ministry. And so we're supposed to build roles in the church and create teams where people can serve one another. And so this tells us that your gifts were given to you by the king so that you can give them back to him in exchange. He gives to you and you give back to him. And your gifts have been shaped by his love and by the gospel. And then you're connected by pastors and church leaders who teach us about God's purposes and then connect us to other people that we can serve alongside. And when this happens, the Bible says, this diverse group of people transforms into a unified body. And that is the focus of our final point, okay? So your gifts are given to you by the king. They're organized by the pastors. But lastly, your gifts are for building the city of God. The reason you are given gifts by... Jesus the King is for building the city of God. And I want to explain a really important bit of theology in this final point. Okay, you'll notice at the end of verse 12, gives the target of your ministry is 
for building up the body of Christ. We are building the body of Christ, and the body of Christ is a city. Now, in the ancient world, people would have recognized that that metaphor of a body is, is a, a political um, uh, metaphor. It was used by Plato and Aristotle, who said that the ideal form of life is a city, a city-state, where a diverse group of people are kind of bound together and they have different gifts and they serve one another and they don't just live for their own ends, they live for the ends of the city. And so what they would have heard when Paul says, we are a body, he would, they would have heard, we are a city. And the Bible says in other places that God is building his city in the earth. You know, Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wants earth to become like heaven. And some of you might know the verse in, in Hebrews 11 that mentions Abraham's hope of the city of God. This is what it says. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Some of you read that verse and say, well, that sounds like heaven, a heavenly city. And that's not a city in the earth. That's a city in heaven. But if you read to the end of the Bible and you get to the final pages of the Bible, you read about the heavenly city, Jerusalem, and what's happening to it. It's coming down from heaven to earth. The story of the Bible is about the heavenly city becoming an earthly city through Christ. And he wants us to build it with the gifts that he has given to us. We are city builders with him. And you see that there in verse 13 where it says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children. And probably many of you, when you've read that verse and you hear about mature manhood, you probably think of us as all individuals becoming mature Christians. I don't think that's what it's talking about. The mature man is the body of Christ. It's the community. It's the city becoming mature. And basically what Paul is saying is that the story of history is that the people of God are like a child that is growing up. Or like, as Jesus says, a mustard seed that started very small. And it's growing into a great tree. And it's becoming more and more mature, more and more, more uh, fruitful. And so when we ask, what are we doing here? What are my gifts for? My time, my treasure, my talent... It's that God is building a city with them. And the church is literally a city. I mean, you think about it. What do cities have? Cities have political leaders. We have a political leader. Jesus is our king, and he has officials under him who, uh, you know, administer his rule. We have a written legal code in the Bible that we all live under. Uh, we're a clearly defined group of people. We have holidays. You know, Bellingham has a holiday. It's the ski to sea. It's coming up in a few weeks. And it's where we worship our God, Mount Baker in the, in the bay, you know, in the islands. And it brings the whole city together. We, too, have festivals on Christmas and Easter and, you know, Good Friday and Ash Wednesday and Pentecost, all these things that define. And every Lord's Day, we celebrate the resurrection. We have a gathering where the city comes together. We have social services to help people in need. As cities have schools, we have a school. And someday, I, I'll share with you a fuller picture of what I think it would mean if we thought ourselves as city builders. What would that mean? Someday I'll share that with you. No time today. But, you know, I always think about 
when people came out west and, you know, they came to a place like Bellingham, the first people who settled in Bellingham, and they're like, we need to build a city here. And they said, well, we need, well, what are we going to need? We're going to need a doctor, and we're going to need a sheriff, and we're going to need a school teacher, and we're going to need a blacksmith, and all these different roles that people are going to come together, and we can make a life together in this city. And I've always thought it was so romantic. It was probably just brutal and hard building those cities. And we've just inherited the city that they built, and we get to live here and, and share in all the structures that they put all that work into. And so what is the city like that we're building, that Jesus is building among us? It's a city where people come to worship their creator. And it's a city where people come to learn about the love of Jesus and experience his healing in their lives. We are a city of worship, of teaching about Jesus, and about healing where Jesus heals people. And so when we think about generosity, we need a bigger vision than simply you should be generous because God said so. We need to know what the Lord's purposes are. And Jesus, as the true king, has ascended to the throne in heaven and he's dispersed gifts to all of us. This church is rich with gifts and he intends that we offer them back to him. How? Well, our pastors and our church leaders and our staff organize us through teaching us and connecting us to others whose gifts align with ours. But all of this is because of the amazing privilege that Jesus wants us to build his city alongside him. Something we could never do on our own or in our own power or wisdom, but since he is the great city builder, we build in hope, trusting in our king and longing for the city whose builder is God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we uh, praise you for this amazing passage and that this is the truth of our world that that Jesus has been declared to be the true king and that in him we have a rich inheritance and that we are partners in the building of the city of God what a great privilege and I pray for the joy of using our gifts for that mission, I pray for that joy to be throughout our community. And you'd show us ways to do that. I pray for more connections of people's gifts to one another, more roles and opportunities where people can uh, uh, build up the body of Christ. And we long for that to happen here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.